the Building Educator Capacity Podcast, where we strive to improve student learning by expanding the capacity of our diverse school districts. I'm Mitchell Lilly, your host for today. Across Wisconsin and the country, schools are facing the difficult challenge of retaining their teaching staff. With teacher shortages already prevalent, losing talented educators for whatever reason is not ideal. That's why today's episode is focused on work towards teacher retention and educator effectiveness. CISA 2's communications coordinator, Phil Anderson, interviews Dr. Curtis Jones and Dr. Denise Ross-Page on their individual work in teacher retention throughout Wisconsin. Curtis is a senior scientist in the School of Education at UW-Milwaukee and director of the Socially Responsible Evaluation and Education Program, responsible for the Wisconsin Educator Development Support and Retention Survey. Denise is a UW-Milwaukee associate professor in the Department of Teaching and Learning and the director and chair for the UW System Institute for Urban Education. Thank you everyone for joining us today for another episode of Building Educator Capacity. Today I am joined by Curtis and Denise who will introduce themselves and share all their work in teacher effectiveness and retention. So would you like to reintroduce yourself and tell us what your positions are at UW-Milwaukee? Hi, I'm Curtis Jones. Uh, I'm the uh, director of the Office of Socially Responsible Evaluation and Education at UWM, and we've been the principal investigator for the state's educator effectiveness and effectiveness um, project uh, evaluation for about 10 years now. Been doing some research on teacher retention in Wisconsin that we're excited to share and um, excited to explain how we collect the data and how you can help us collect that data. My name is Denise Ross-Page, and I am the chair and director of the UW System Institute for Urban Education, which is housed at UW-Milwaukee. We're called the IUE. The IUE is um, an institute that was started to prepare Wisconsin educators to work in urban school districts. The Institute is in its second decade now, and we use um, clinical placement in Southeast Wisconsin school districts. Um, So for instance, Wake Racine, West Dallas, West Milwaukee, Milwaukee Public Schools. Um, And then we work on research and professional development throughout the state, helping to support other teachers and being prepared to work in urban school districts. Thank you for that. Now, I think what you're most well known for is your work, as you mentioned, that you have the Wisconsin Educator Support and Retention Survey. Could you get more into details about what you do with that survey? What does it measure? What are the results for and everything? Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, we are the, uh, doing the evaluation of educator effectiveness and effectiveness project, which is the CSA 6 uh, model for educator effectiveness. We've been doing that uh, for about 10 years. And, um, you know, we, we are constantly trying to find ways to get information in the hands of educators to, in a, through like capacity building efforts. You know, our work, uh, and I'm going to mention my team a little bit here, Dr. Marlo Reeves, uh, Dr. Dong Mei Lee, and uh, Jessica Cordaro. You know, we work together to uh, try to build strong partnerships with um, uh, education agencies and to try to break down the power dynamics that exist between researcher and practitioner. And so what we're trying to do with educator effectiveness is find a way uh, to center the work of educators in that rather than centering DPI or uh, administratively what's going on with with the process. And so the Wisconsin Educator Development Support and Retention Survey 
uh, was viewed as a, uh, a way to do that. Um, and so what it is, is prior to, the, prior to 2016, the survey existed, but was really centering what DPI's information needs were. Uh, and what we realized very quickly is DPI has a very limited capacity to actually affect change locally. Uh, so we were collecting information on the professional culture in schools, their implementation of educator effectiveness, and, and things related to it, either facilitating factors or inhibiting factors that, uh, and also affected by it. So we looked at principal leadership and trust. We look at uh, teacher collaboration and trust between teachers. Uh, we looked at job satisfaction, commitment to school. Uh, we look at a whole array of um, aspects of professional culture that we measure in this survey. And, uh, and that could really be informative to a local school to understand how their professional culture is developing and how they can improve it uh, to uh, improve their educative effectiveness processes, yes, but improve teacher retention. Uh, and so starting in 2017, we started giving that information back to schools. Uh, with individual reports for every participating school across the state, showing them their results for their educators. And then we started organizing conversations through different CISAs to help facilitate the use of the information for informing uh, changes and, and uh, capacity building locally. Uh, the survey itself comes from lots of different places. The five essential survey is a, a, a big you know, is used for a lot of different uh, questions. We also use the panorama survey. Uh, there's a survey from Rural Central. So we try to use as much as we could validate information, but we also pull information that we develop ourselves and we ask um, our partners, uh, either CISAs uh, or districts uh, or PPI to add questions that they wanna ask uh, educators across Wisconsin that, in, that meet their informational needs so that we're not asking educators to respond to a whole bunch of surveys and confusing them. Because so here's a survey from UWM. Here's a survey from another organization. Uh, they both might be asking really important information, but I'm a lot less likely to respond to a survey if I just responded to a survey. So we try to clear the path <laughs> uh, to create space for people to complete the survey um, and it's every spring. And, uh, and the idea here is to center the needs of the local community rather than centering the researcher needs or like to me to do like to publish or, or even DPI's needs to administrate. It's what are the needs locally uh, for information uh, and how can we help them use that information more intelligently uh, and intentionally and they get this and, and empower them to make changes in their school. We're trying to, uh, in a way, treat this process as giving each district internal evaluation capacity. Uh, you look at some districts like Milwaukee Public Schools, they have an internal evaluation team, they have capacity. But you know, you look at um, and I won't mention any names here, but you look at other districts, most districts across Wisconsin don't have dedicated research staff. Sometimes CSAs try to support them in that way, but CSAs are also very limited in what they can do. 
and and that, so there's an equity issue about it. So some districts have good information about their um, their internal processes and their um, adult practices, uh, but most dis districts don't. And so what we tried to do was kind of meet those needs for them. We collect this information, we give it back to them, uh, to districts across Wisconsin. We're available to help think through what the what the data mean, and we do research uh, statewide. Uh, that then informs the conversations we have with local districts about their data. And what have you learned from the WEDSR about teacher retention in Wisconsin? Have there been any general findings that you've found? Yeah, so we uh, it's been one of the um, kind of primary focus areas for the research that we've done uh, statewide. And, and what we've tried to do is identify um, kind of patterns that we're seeing in the data, associations with teacher retention, uh, so that we can give that information to a local district that they can then view their data through that lens. So what matters, you know, we have a lot of data. What are we able to see that matters for teacher retention? What are the conditions that promote teacher retention around educator effectiveness and prof professional culture more generally? And what do my data look like? Am I kind of uh, where, you know, I'm having a problem with teacher retention. Uh, what hypotheses can I build with my data to help me understand what's going on there, which then leads to um, changes that you can do in, in your own practices. So, so far we've done uh, three published studies that are out there. It's on our website. Um, you can re re uh, review these. We started kind of basic. Uh, we did a study called uh, educator effectiveness as an induction uh, that leads to job satisfaction with novice teachers. And what we found was that, and this was very much focused strictly on educator effectiveness, so that um, when a school was giving teachers time to complete the process, this is, you know, and support to complete the process, uh, and they had more face-to-face -face feedback meter meetings with teachers, um, uh, and the feedback was accurate. Uh, that the teachers viewed their principal as a stronger leader uh, and that they were, um, uh, that they liked their jobs more and they were more committed to their school. This first study didn't look at actual teacher retention, but looked at the conditions that we know from a lot of other research is, um, uh, associated with teacher retention, being committed to your school, having strong relationships with your principal. You know, we know from a lot of other research that for the most part, teachers aren't leaving their uh, school because of their students. Uh, they're leaving their school because of their principal or other relationships that they have uh, with other teachers. Then we also did another study that um, then moved it a little bit beyond that, looked at actual teacher retention. Uh, that was called the impact of Wisconsin educator effectiveness on uh, new teacher turnover. Uh, and what we did was this, we, we applied a, um, uh, kind of a model called learning-centered approach to educator effectiveness, uh, where again, the focus was about trust. When teachers had strong trust with their principal, uh, they generally viewed the feedback as more favorable uh, that they were receiving and accurate. And so the, the stronger learning-centered rather than an accountability-centered. So right, educator effectiveness, some districts treat it as accountability. Uh, if you uh, are getting lower ratings, 
there's a deficit uh, and you know we need to kind of correct you. Districts that are focusing on the learning uh, that comes along with the feedback, um, building a lot of uh, opportunities for that feedback. Uh, teachers are having a positive reaction to that. They're viewing it as um, uh, more accurate, uh, more useful. And, um, and then that was causing them to view their principal more favorably uh, and being more committed to their school. Uh, and then ultimately we did measure they were more likely to stay in their school. Uh, now, the corollary of that is if you didn't do those things, it was a way to prevent teacher retention, right? So if you don't give good feedback, you don't spend the time, like maybe you're only giving written feedback. You don't understand that, you know, that one-on-one that -on -one time with your principal for a new teacher is really critical for the teacher's development they wanna develop. Uh, if you're only giving written feedback, you're missing that opportunity, or you're not giving any feedback, or you're only giving feedback at the end of the year, then that leads to uh, less satisfied teachers who are more likely, um, who are less committed to their school and more likely to either change schools or leave public education altogether. Uh, the third study, which is our most recent study, is called Race, Relational Trust and Teacher Retention in Wisconsin Schools. And for this one, we were trying to understand the big um, represent, representation gap in Wisconsin where and I'm, let's say, I think it's like fewer than maybe 6% of Wisconsin educators are educators of color, but more than a third of students are students of color. So what's going on that? There's lots of reasons, but we were kind of focused on the idea of teacher retention as a possible reason. Uh, you can look at the pipeline, you can say we're not graduating enough teachers and that's true, but do we want to be putting more teachers of color into a system if that system isn't designed for their success. So we wanna understand what's going on with, with teacher retention before we would argue, well, we need to you know, have a whole bunch more teachers of color in our, our schools and understand how to make the schools more inclusive for them before kind of trying to uh, make more uh, teachers of color go into those schools. Uh, and so what we, we found a lot of different things for that, um, and I'll try to go through them. Uh, we know that uh, from the study that Black and Latinx teachers were uh, much less likely to stay in their school uh, and in public education than white teachers. Uh, and it was pretty startling findings. Just new teachers in their first job after certification, um, looking out two years past the beginning of their first education teaching position, um, only 52% of Black educators uh, actually even remained in public education. So we're losing half of Black educators to public education. Not just, they didn't just leave their school, they left the field. Maybe they took a break, maybe they changed uh, fields. We don't really know at this point, but we know they were no longer um, represented in uh, DPI's information about educators in Wisconsin. It wasn't much better for Latinx teachers, it was 63%, uh, but it was certainly better than 52%, but 81% of white educators remained um, in public education after two years. We were losing a lot of our educators of color very quickly, um, but at the same time, 
if you can make it through those first two years, uh, what we saw was that educators of color, even white educators, were more were really likely to continue on as, as teachers. It was just those first two years were kind of this critical period in their retention. Uh, so what's going on in those first two years, right? What, what is leading these educators to leave, not just to, just to say, you know what, teaching isn't working for me as a field. Well, there are certain things that are related to the previous studies that really came to the front here. Trust. So um, teachers who reported having strong trusting relationships with other teachers were a lot more likely to continue on as a teacher. You can vary what the um, level of trust is between teachers uh, and you could, it doesn't seem like much, but it adds up over time. The, the range of retention went from 76% to 83%, depending on that trust between teachers, okay? Uh, so improved trust you know, related to improved retention. The same thing with principal, with principals. So trust with principals was really critical as a predictor of their retention. Uh, if you range, if you look at the range of trust with principals and teacher retention, it ranged from 70% to 87%. And this is across all groups. Okay, so you saw a pretty big difference in the likelihood of a teacher staying in their school uh, when they had uh, strong or weak trust with their principal, which with our other studies show is a lot related to the accuracy of feedback they're getting, the time that they have to interact with their principal, um, and the, you know whether or not they're getting face-to-face -face time. So there's some control that a school and administrator has over that level of trust that they're developing with their educators. And that level of trust that they develop has a strong relationship to whether they continue on in that school and whether or not they continue on as a teacher more generally. Uh, we also found that black teachers related to uh, their lower retention more generally reported much lower levels of trust with other teachers. So what this is saying is that black teachers are having as a group uh, are not fitting into their school as well with other teachers. But then white teachers actually had lower perceptions of trust with principals, principals of color uh, and were less likely to stay in schools that had more students of color, teachers of color, and a principal of color. Uh, and this explains the, the teacher retention challenge in, in uh, schools that are serving a lot of students of color more generally because of this underrepresentation in Wisconsin schools uh, for teachers of color, they still, even in like a fully segregated school that's 100% black, um, there's still three-fourths of the teachers in those schools. Uh, speaking about, you know, white teachers. So if you can't keep your white teachers, you can't keep your teachers. Uh, so all of this, trying to pull all this together, you know, basically these studies, we show that, you know, EP or EE can either promote or inhibit the retention of new teachers depending on how it is implemented, okay? If it's a learning-centered approach, it promotes teacher retention. If it's an accountability approach, or you're not using the system for anything, that actually makes it more likely that the teachers are going to leave. You know, trust is developed uh, between principals and teachers uh, when uh, teachers are provided with accurate and effective professional feedback. 
that's one-on-one -on -one where there's a discussion about it rather than this is your performance and in, in holding them accountable for it. As they build trust, they become more committed to their school and are more likely to stay. The, the facts, the finding that um, we're having this lower relational trust reported by black educators in majority uh, white educator schools uh, suggests that um, implicit bias and a lot of discussion around implicit bias training that has happened over the last few years has been focused on teachers working with students or working with families. Uh, what we've been saying is that implicit bias training, whatever form that is, really needs to focus on the relationship of professionals in the school as well. So that we're not pretending like all the principal, all of the educators in the school are working effectively well together and trust each other, realizing that there's a lot of history there and a lot of misunderstandings and uh, lack of trust that exists between professionals from different backgrounds. Uh, and students will benefit if the adults in the school can work through those and come to an understanding of each other. And so we're recommending that schools focus on adults working together effectively. You know, if, if any, any industry, you know, industries all over the place, banking, whatever you want to look at, they talk about implicit bias training, not as, you know, so much working with somebody walking in the door. It's about, can they work, you know, work together? Uh, but education has focused almost exclusively on working with, with the client. What we're saying is that uh, it, you really need to, in addition to doing that, that's very important, you need to work together to support the students effectively. And, and part of this is uh, what Denise is going to talk about, which is that, you know, teachers of color need space so they can support each other and build community, especially in Wisconsin, that's hard to do because of how few educators of color there are. And, you know, if you did do this, and you did create space where educators of color can be successful and build a career, be successful in their career, then more educators of color will want to become teachers. So the best attraction strategy for attracting new educators of color is a strong retention strategy. If you have inclusive environments where all educators are, are going to be equally likely of being successful, then people from different environment, different backgrounds will view that as something that would be good for them. But, you know, they grew up in the system and they saw it firsthand um, that their educators of color maybe were not as respected in their school um, or were asked to do things that were outside of what they would typically expect an educator to do because they're black or because they're another group that's not white that makes it really difficult for them to see this is something that they would want to do. Uh, so we have to start by changing the context before we're expecting anybody else to want to go into it. Oh, thank you. That, that's, that's quite a lot you, you've given us, but it all makes sense in the end, right? That you want to make sure that no matter what industry you're in, that you want to make sure people's voices are being heard and that they trust the leadership and that they trust each other and that they work well as a group, right? It, 
that's that's how you get people to trust or the opposite of that get people to distrust each other if they don't have that feelings of security so thank you for that and we'll make sure to have links to those research in the description as well right but now one way to get this uh feedback is through your survey and districts can use a dashboard to be able to access their survey data and to learn more about what their teachers are saying. So can you talk about a little bit about the dashboard, how districts can gain access and use it and how they can use it to promote their own teacher retention? Yeah, thanks. Um, so we have a dashboard that we are, uh, we built the dashboard wedsr.org. It's, you know, 1.0 is out there because we just wanted to get it out there for people to engage with. Uh, we're weeks away from a, a revision, I think a really positive, strong revision to it. So I guess that then the point will be 2.0. And right now, if you go to that website, wedsr.org, uh, you'll see the statewide data. It gives you the ability to um, filter the data by types of school, types of community, uh, and types of educator. All right. So you could say, um, what are my, and, and it's all of the different questions that we are capturing for the uh, WEDSR survey uh, are then put onto this dashboard. And so you could say, you know, what do people feel about their principal uh, statewide? You could say, what do, um, like, what kind of trust exists there? What kind of trust exists between, uh, I could pick white teachers, you know, how do white teachers view their principal? How do black teachers view their principal? How do rural teachers view their principal? So you could really um, answer some questions that you might have about what's going on in Wisconsin with this. The exciting part of it, though, is that uh, we uh, are using it now as a way to get the data back in the hands of districts and schools. So we, we do require that a district receive a 35% response rate and a school receive a 35% response rate of their educators um, uh, on the survey, and then they get access and it's private access. So it's a username and password. Then they can engage with their data and do the same types of filters to it. Do they wanna know if it's a larger district like a Janesville, what are, what are educators in my high schools saying about their school uh, or their jobs? Like how satisfied are they with their jobs? How committed are they to their schools? Uh, and then you could do further kind of breakdowns of your data uh, to really dive into it and use the, the data, the, the research that we've done statewide as a lens to look at your own data. Uh, if I'm trying to improve teacher retention in my district, what kind of trust am I seeing between my, my teachers and my principals, between teachers uh, you know, with each other and, and different groups? Like what about my black teachers? What about my white teachers? Uh, what am I seeing there? And then you know, where can I put resources to try to improve it. Uh, and so, you know, again, the idea is that they can make all of these um, filters and, and kind of really dive into the data. Uh, then you can make comparisons to the state too. So, okay, you know, it looks like my teachers are pretty satisfied with their job. That feels pretty good. Well, teachers generally report pretty positive perceptions of their job, even if um, maybe they're not, because uh, there's kind of a a feeling of um, acquiescence in that. Uh, but I can look at the state data at the same time, because that's the way the dashboard is built. Uh, and I can make filters to the state data and say, okay, here's my educators, I, but I'm a, I'm a rural district or I'm a rural high school. Uh, I don't necessarily include like Milwaukee Public Schools 
in my comparison. So I can filter the state data at the same time to make a more apples to apples comparison and really understand what's normative for schools like mine uh, and where do my educators land in that. Uh, and, then you, and then you might realize, well, 75% of my educators saying that they're committed to their school sounds really great on, on its own, but when I compare it to like schools, uh, like schools, it's 85%. And so uh, if, I'm, if I've got 10 percentage points lower commitment to school for my educators, over time, that's going to cause me to have a hard time retaining my teachers. Uh, so this gives you that ability to um, make those comparisons. It also gives you longitudinal data. So each data element in the survey, uh, when you hover over that data element, it shows you every year since 2016 what your school or district has reported on that so that you can see what are your trends over time um, and, and tracking you know, any kind of impacts that you might have on local interventions you might be doing to see if it's making an impact on the objectives that you have. So, and these are things that um, we heard from districts uh, prior to COVID when we were working with uh, CESAs to get the information in their hands. They're like, well, you're giving us state data as a comparison, but state data doesn't really represent anybody. It's um, an average of everyone, but there is no district that is the average district. Uh, so I'd like to make more uh, meaningful comparisons to the data. And also, you know, I've got all of these reports from the last four years or five years of my results, and I have no way to measure change over time. People were putting their reports on the floor to kind of look at the figures on those reports and say, okay, does this look like it's getting better or worse? And, and so this gives districts that capacity to, um, you know, view their results over time, make those comparisons, and answer research, uh, action research questions that they have about their schools and districts. Uh, again, like the, the survey is happening right now. Districts only get the data, though, if 35% or better uh, of their educators participate. And the idea is we want people to make uh, decisions based on reasonably quality data, uh, and not um, kind of make decisions based off of really uh, weak data with a low, low response rates. And then they're making decisions that affect educators in the school that don't necessarily, that aren't based on what the educators in their school actually view uh, about that issue. Anyway, we have till the end of the month of May uh, for districts to um, improve their response rate. You can view their response rate um, in real time on our website. Uh, and so then people can see where they are right now uh, and try to get people in their district to participate. Uh, we do email them directly as well. Uh, but ultimately, unless the district is engaged in it, educators are less likely to participate. If you're listening to this episode, when it first comes out, you still have time to participate in the survey. So just check the link in the description and be able to check out those resources there. I want to shift the conversation a little bit now to the idea of equity, because at CISA 2 we're always trying to promote equity in all our school districts. I know that's a big part of the work for the UW System Institute for Urban Education. Could we hear a little bit more about what the Institute for Urban Education does and its mission? Sure. 
So the main work of the IUE is to um, place interns and student teachers in urban school districts, as I said earlier, um, and then give them support through a cohort model where they go through their student teaching and internship experience together. And we meet with them regularly to discuss culturally relevant practices. Um, we also give them support to transition into teaching positions in school districts. So we currently focus on nine school districts, MPS, West Allis, Racine, Waukesha, and Southeast Wisconsin. Um, but we also seek to form relationships with other urban districts outside of Southeast Wisconsin, including Green Bay, Madison, and also Janesville and Beloit, which I know are in this CISA, CISA too. And so we're seeking those relationships out now. So if anyone is listening and is interested in working with us, you can reach out to me for that. We provide an annual equity conference in August um, where teachers can have a space to listen to individuals doing work in the area of equity. So two years ago, we had Gloria Latson-Billings and a number of other educators. This year in August, it will be Judge Derek Mosley speaking about um, implicit bias. And then um, we are offering a school year series this year that districts can participate in that talks about issues in th that teachers of color may experience as well as students of color. Um, we have educators from within Wisconsin who met, who met together to have these panel discussions. Those will be released and they'll be also available to school districts throughout the year with the facilitator's guide to help teachers get some training and support and educators get training and support. But I think the two things that um, are really relevant to the conversation and the work that Curtis was speaking about is our work within um, affinity groups um, and then also our work on literacy as a form of social justice. So I'll just briefly talk about those. So our work with affinity groups focuses on supporting the mental health of teachers of color. Um, and it's important because as Curtis talked about, some of his work has shown that all students benefit from having a teacher of color. And also that the US school student population is becoming more diverse, but the teaching staff is not always becoming that diverse or re being retained in that way. The retention of teachers is not demonstrating that diversity. Teachers of color are leaving the teaching profession at a greater rate because of a lack of mentoring, because of a lack of support during their first years of teaching as Curtis described. So um, there's a researcher um, named Rita Coley who's talked about what's called racial battle fatigue. This idea that teachers of color go through um, mental, emotional, and physical stress from confronting racism in their districts or schools. And so they might experience microaggressions, they may experience um, identity with students of color who made themselves be going through stress and so create stress for them. And so all those things that Curtis described are actually very consistent with the reason why we do the work that we do. And so affinity groups for those teachers might help with retention and they're used in other fields. And we're currently um, starting research projects on this to just look at how they might help with retention. But affinity groups are voluntary groups that work together based on common social causes. They help teachers possibly process their experiences they're having. They give them friends and colleagues who have a supportive community. Um, they might provide professional development to address issues that they encounter. So we are doing work, we run an affinity group called Spaces that teachers of color are invited to participate in and they can find more information about that on our website. Um, and so we run those and we'll be running them next year. Um, and then we currently collaborate with other educators, for instance, Alicia Mutri from the Wisconsin Urban Leadership Institute to look at ways that we can offer and enhance affinity groups for administrators and for teachers. We are also looking at doing an urban teacher affinity group. So there may be an opportunity for teachers who just work in urban communities that also need support, um, regardless of race, to come in and be a part of one. I'll give us a, a, a short story, I think, that illustrates the need for this. I attended um, 
a teacher support group that was for urban teachers um, when I first moved to Wisconsin a couple of years ago. And um, there were lots of teachers from different groups in this, different diverse backgrounds in this group. What was happening was that black teachers and Latinx teachers were having to explain their experiences to educate teachers who were not teachers of color in that group. And so while the group was intended for everyone to have support, they didn't have a space to just be who they were and to just talk about the issues they were having. That kind of prompted us to start an affinity group project that would allow these teachers to have a space where they could just talk about their issues. So we've run it, had very positive feedback from teachers about how it gives them spaces to talk. And the goal is to strengthen them to go back out into these um, environments where sometimes people are still growing and still learning about being more sensitive um, racially and to be able to be there and be successful. Um, so that's one project that we're doing. The other project that we're doing uh, is on literacy as a form of social justice. We all know the benefits of reading proficiency that children who read proficiently by third grade are more likely to graduate from high school, um, which makes them more prepared to take advantage of the work and school opportunities that happen after high school and have greater income as adults. But in contrast, children who do not read proficiently by third grade are four times less likely to finish high school, to graduate high school on time than those who do. And this has a long-term impact on their success, both during and after school. It affects them, their families, and ultimately our society. It's not just an isolated group of children. In Wisconsin, as you may know, in 2019, pre-COVID, children who were from marginalized groups were not performing well in reading. And I'll give one example. In 2019, 11% of Black children in Wisconsin read proficiently. There were school districts where it was as low as 7%. That's from the National Assessment of Educational Progress. Similar outcomes are observed for children from lower SES groups, um, children who are from other racial groups. And so it's a, it, we see it as a form of social justice that children learn to read, that it's not just about their experiences in early childhood. That time period is so critical for what's gonna happen to them later on in life. Um, so we're for interested in impacting equity, impacting what happens with children of color, children who are from marginalized groups. We need to make sure that they can read successfully. And that is a huge push within the IUE. Um, and so for us, that means bringing best practices to teachers in districts where there are high numbers of marginalized students who are struggling with reading. We're very interested in working with CESA two districts like Janesville and Beloit. So if anyone's interested in working with us, again, reach out to us, but we're interested in any districts where there are children who are not receiving what they need for what they need for their education. So um, we're currently preparing to train teachers to use evidence-based practices we've partnered with our colleagues at different universities to come in um, and to train teachers to work with children in a way that is both culturally relevant and effective um, and produces the outcomes that we hope that will help them succeed as adults. And so if there are any teachers who are interested in participating in our trainings, we have a training this summer. Um, they can find information about it on our website. And then we have school year trainings as well. Um, and so again, we are offering these free trainings for teachers to feel more empowered to work with children who are at this time struggling with reading and the impact, one of the things I think that's important about this is that one teacher can make such a different in the difference in the life of a children, lives of children in a way that affects the trajectory of their lives. And it really does come down to being a social justice issue for us. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of great work that you have there at the Institute, the, the IUE. And that makes me for us, CISA2 is constantly wanting to have 
equity for all our school districts because all our school districts struggle in their own unique ways. And regardless of district or school size, because I know you work a lot with the larger districts, has your work further the mission of implementing equitable practices among any school staff? Right. We think that if all teachers are better reading teachers, all teachers who are responsible for reading, are, it's not just about finding a good teacher. A current approach to education is let's find the good teacher. Let's find the teacher who can do this. But all teachers can be empowered to teach kids to read. If that's your responsibility and that's your interest, you can learn to do it. And so by making the access to best practices more equitable, we then impact children more, right? But also we think it's not, we combine that with understanding our own perspectives on race. We think it's not just about that. Um, you have to kind of be aware of your own biases. So there was a study where um, researchers looked at preschool teachers and they brought preschool teachers from diverse backgrounds into a setting and asked them to look at four students who were all actors. There was a white, white preschool boy, a white preschool girl, a black preschool boy, black preschool girls all in this classroom. And they asked them to, to, to estimate which students had the most behavior challenges. And they identified the black boy, even though they were all actors and they were all doing the same things. There was a, a bias there, even, and it wasn't just, it was black teachers said the same thing. And so um, we think it's really important that we combine understanding of our own perspectives and biases along with skills and being able to teach kids to read. And so we offer that to all teachers with the goal of making access to it for everyone. It's not just for the school districts that can afford it. It's not just for the school districts that have access to it. In doing that, we think it promotes equitable practice for everyone. So um, what we try to do that, what UW system has empowered us to do is to be available to the state. And for that availability, it gives access to all districts, regardless of size, um, access to the work that we do. Excellent. Yes. Thank you for that. Any closing remarks or thoughts that you would like to share? One thing I'd like to kind of convey is um, that teacher retention, that there's no, um, uh, there's no magic fix for it. Uh, different people are leaving for different reasons. And I think there are some commonalities for certain individuals. Um, and we've talked a lot about those, but I think we need to look at each person as an individual. And if I'm a principal, I need to understand each person as an individual and not make assumptions about what they what their motivations are. Um, you know, I'm 10,000 feet up with the research that I'm doing. Uh, and so I have to make these like connections and all of that. Uh, what I'm trying to give uh, principles is ideas. These are some ideas that I have based off of the research that we've, that we've done and based off of the literature um, that's you know, been done nationally for things that might lead someone to, to leave. But ultimately, it's the principal that has to have that conversation and has to listen and has to understand what's going on between educators in their school. So it's, it's hard work and saying like, I'm just saying it's, uh, there's no one program that can be implemented that fixes it for everyone. Uh, everybody needs to be treated as an individual and respected as an individual. Uh, and then there's certain things that are likely to be put into place that could help multiple people. But that, you know, I think a lot of it 
can actually work against you if uh, work against retention if uh, people feel like they're not listened to. And I think that's the most important thing. And the last thing I'll say is that the IUE is open to working with districts throughout the throughout the state. And that um, if someone is interested, I, I listed the nine urban districts that we are specifically partnered with, but we are definitely intended to work throughout the state. And so if you're interested in working with us, we welcome you to our conference on August 8th with Der Judge Derek Mosley to participate in our affinity group throughout the school year, our literacy training both this summer and throughout the school year. Um, and um, if you are interested in having interns, I know districts are, are, you know, are having teacher shortages. Um, what you would do is talk to your local UW system school of education. So wherever you are, the, the closest UW school of education that's with you, talk to them about possibly partnering through them with us to um, work with us. And if it's possible to have teachers referred um, or it, for us to share your information with them. Um, and so we are so glad that you had us on here and really appreciate the opportunity to talk about our work and hope that it's helpful to people who are listening. And back yes, to you as well. You. Thank you very much for sharing all your insight with, uh, with us here at CISA2. It was a privilege to hear from you both. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much to Curtis and Denise for joining us and sharing their expertise in teacher retention. I think two takeaways that we have from this podcast episode are one, to make sure your educators have ways to provide feedback to school leadership, and two, to create safe spaces for educators to voice their thoughts and concerns, especially for minority groups. A lot of it boils down to trust and that your feedback will be heard and welcomed. It will be a journey, but a journey you and your district can start today. If you're listening to this episode in May of 2022, you still have time to take the WEDSR survey and access the valuable data for your district. Check the podcast description or our website at www.cisa2.org podcast for the survey link, response rate for your district, and everything else referenced in this episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of Building Educator Capacity. To be the first to know when our next episode lands, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to Miss Liz Elliott, band teacher from Whitewater Middle School, for providing music for this podcast. We'll see you next time.